I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, our guest is Jasper Ford. It's a slight change to the billing that I teased you with last week, but you know, these things happen, uh, and Jasper is a fantastic guest. He is a surreal satirist. Uh, You could describe Jasper in so many ways, that's what I'm going to go for. His new book is The Constant Rabbit where a bunch of anthropomorphised rabbits were accepted into society and they've now been shunned and almost exiled by the United Kingdom Anti-Rabbit Party. He's described it as Watership Down meets District 9, uh, which is quite a blend. Uh, He tells us all about a day in the life of writing it in this episode. Also, you can hear about his narrative dares. And also, Jasper does a brilliant job of boiling down the art of of the immense challenge of storytelling. What you're trying to do is kind of teach yourself how to do something without really thinking about it. As soon as you stop thinking about writing, it can really start working for you. And what I mean by that, because it's kind of weirdly counterintuitive... um, I don't think it is. And I think, and, and this again, and I've, I've gone back to this before about grouping together um, all people who work in the performance arts and the creative industries is you always say to them, you know, this is a really good painting. Did you have to think about it? And you go, no, 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 that just came straight out. Or with a, with a poet, it came straight out. Or a, a, an, an actor, you're an actress, they do it for the first time and it comes straight out and it really works. Um, and I think what you're doing is you're training yourself to be able to do something intuitive. And although storytelling is intuitive to all humans, because we've been learning it since, you know, year dot, telling a story, a narrative in a particular way does become a, an intuitive black art. It's all on the way with Jasper Ford in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along. My name's Dan, this is Writer's Routine, the show where we take a sneak peek inside the working day of the most successful writers around to figure out how they get stuff done. This week's episode is sponsored by Skin Deep. It's the new novel from the acclaimed novelist, uh, Sung Jae Woo. Uh, now listen to this for a tagline. A missing girl. Deadly yoga. A dangerous billionaire. The price of beauty. 
it's enough to pull you right in, isn't it? It's all about a rookie private detective, Siobhan O'Brien. She's Korean-American, easing into middle age, and she just wants a chilled, easy life. When her boss leaves her a private investigation agency, she needs to take over, and an old friend asks Siobhan to find her daughter, who has disappeared at college. Uh, It's a romping, mysterious adventure all around upstate New York, so it's a bit American slash Korean in its styling, which I think is a brilliant, beautiful blend of writing, Uh, and it's packed as well. It's full of stuff, because as, as Siobhan dives deeper into the search for her friend's daughter, she encounters dangerous men in turtlenecks, vegan cooking that might kill her, and deadly yoga once more. You see, it's mysterious, and it's a lot of fun as well. Slightly surreal in there, which I think is a nice link to our guest this week, Jasper Ford. If you like Sue Grafton and uh, Laura Lippman, you'll really enjoy this, I reckon. Publishers Weekly says it explores the theme of image and identity perceptibly throughout. I like that word, perceptibly throughout. It's a nice description. Also, Booklist says it's the start of a series to watch. Uh, I'm so pleased that Sung has sponsored the show this week with Skin Deep. I'm really excited to talk about it because we cover all aspects. We cover all kinds of stories on this show and this fantasy, mystery, comedy mix is is perfect for us. I think you'll really love it. Support our community that we've got going on here and please look it up. It's called Skin Deep. It's by Sung Jae Woo and it sponsors the show today. So do me a favour, look it up and start a series that you will thoroughly enjoy. You can find out more about it over at writersroutine.com. Now this week, our guest is Jasper Ford, a brilliant surrealist writer who, who really thinks about the craft of storytelling as well, so he's perfect for this show. He cares and pays so much attention to language and the composition of language and themes and playfulness and breaking convention. He's known for his Thursday Next series, Uh, His debut was The Air Affair, and he's written loads more, including some YA books in the last Dragon Slayer series. Uh, His new book is called The Constant Rabbit. It's set in the UK, only slightly in the future, where humans share the land with a group of anthropomorphised rabbits. Only Jasper Ford could really write this blend of brilliant comedy about anthropomorphised rabbits. Uh, And then what happens is the humans, the, the British folk, suddenly want them gone. And the United Kingdom Anti-Rabbit Party tries to kick them out. I mean, you see where the idea comes from, don't you? Uh, It's a satire, and really, even though it is that, it's also the story of relationships and friendships. And it's made because of how much Jasper's brain goes and fires off in all different directions. He makes connections that I don't think other people would do. Uh, And we talk about why he thinks that is the key to his writing in this chat. You can also hear about why he loves language, how that makes him hate shoe leather, uh, and why he always wants to write things that haven't been put down before. We also talk about the nursery rhyme Humpty Dumpty and how that started a thriller crime story in his mind. It's all on the way. You can hear all about it. Stay there. We dive into it with Jasper, as we always do, learning about what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Right. As I as I range my eyes around my tiny little office upstairs in my house, I have three screens of my uh, of my computer. I have a huge stack of just I think you'd call it desk litter. 
which is huge and multifarious and very exciting and messy. Um, and then I have a big painting of a tsunami in front of me and a, a couple of paintings left and right and three Mickey Mouse clocks that tell me the time in Canberra, London and New York. Right, a lot, a lot to break down then from something so simple, from just an answer that's a minute long. So why the different time zones then? Canberra, London, New York. New York is for my publishers in New York, obviously. Um, and that is, of course, very useful to know at a, at a glance. And my sister lives in Canberra. And, and if I need to call her, then I can, at a glance, um, figure out what the time is. But I think it's, it's kind of like, um, it, it kind of makes me feel important, but not in that I have these these three Mickey Mouse clocks, which all show the different time zones. I did have another one at one point that said Wantage um, because of the time zone in Wantage, which is actually the same as, as here, but I just thought that amused me. <laughs> Uh, the um the, the tsunami painting on the wall tell tell us about it what 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 inspiration is that giving to you ah well this is an interesting one this was um it's actually it's actually of the uh it's tintin you know tintin painted and written by Hergé. Um, he, he had a, a homage to Hokusai, the wave of Hokusai, in his book, um, Prince of Mount Fuji. Um, and it's in the Cigars of the Pharaohs, and Tintin is in a little coffin, and he's in the middle of the, well, Red Sea, I should imagine, and this huge wave is about to crash over him, and it's this beautiful green colour of the sea, and then a grey, grey sky with rain coming down. And Tintin is, you know, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Tintin. And because it's shaped so much about uh, storytelling, um, if you read a Tintin book, it's almost like you're watching sort of a movie, if you like, and the way that it's told and the characters come around and you have subplots and all that. I read a lot of Tintin when I was younger and a lot of that came with me. And I painted this uh, myself in 1994 just because I, I loved the, the view and it's about five foot wide and four foot high. And it's been in my office, every single office, I've ever had where I'm writing. So it is actually a, a constant companion. And it's also covered in post-its of little notes for myself. Now, if I was going to break that down further, why are you moving around? Is, is it just because you're, you're so proud that you... you I mean, you, you've published so many books. I don't think you really need any um, reinforcement to what you can do. Uh, why are you constantly... Why are you having it there? Is it just very simply enjoyment? Am I reading too much into this? Uh, I think you're probably reading yeah, too much fun. into it, really. <laughs> I mean, I, I do I do have a little um, Lego dodo, which also sits on my desk. Um, you know, so there's I just, it's a painting that I like. And for me, it represents also because I painted it so long ago. It, it represents a, a sort of continuity uh, of, of not what I enjoy now, but what I enjoyed in the past as that kind of takes you through the kind of writing process. And I don't mean writing process as in putting words on a page by the way in which the, the books that you write at the beginning of a writing career change throughout your writing career as you do. So, so the, the, the little, you know, the, uh, the little tsunami wave there is, is just a sort of little anchor, I guess, from when I was a, a young, stupid writer rather than an old, stupid writer. And three screens. Why possibly would you need three? What's happening on each of those? Well, my main screen is my main screen, which I do all my writing upon. And then I have a little screen off to my right, uh, which is other sort of peripherals like my calendar and uh, my iTunes and various other bits and pieces, usually um, uh, 
usually um, email as well comes in on there. And the screen on the left is actually not functioning at present, but it belongs to my old computer. And as you know, when you go, you move up from one computer, because my last one was I bought in 2009 um, and I've moved to a new computer system within the last two months. But of course, you're always going back to the old system to try and find something that just did not come across to the new. You hinted about post-it notes there stuck to your painting. If I, if I were to walk into your, your writing room, Jasper, would I, would I have any, any clues as to, to the story that you were telling at that moment? Have you got uh, like any, um, anything that directly links to what your writing research pinned to the walls may be? Uh, it, it does in a certain extent. I mean, I'm sort of going through them now. Here we are. Um, identical sister. That's um, that would be a spoiler alert if I told you about that. Um, I've always wanted to put identical brothers and identical sisters in a book, but it's like almost a complete no-no. And I thought, I wonder if there's a way to do it. You know, where you sort of you hide the cliche in plain sight. You know, you put a flag around it. Um, other things like um, did, any, did another one here that says, did any of it actually happen? which is kind of a nice little sort of open-ended question. And I was just thinking about that for a short story that you sort of did. did you know, when something happens and someone says, did, did that happen? And I thought, okay, let, why don't we take that to a sort of a greater, greater sort of extent and say, did any of that actually happen? Um, and that was, it's kind of relates to a, um, an ongoing theme throughout my books about memory and how memory is changeable and malleable. And you could possibly um, have someone come in and sort of, live in your memories and change your memories so it's just little ideas that i have and i i just write them down um just to make sure i don't lose them so um but no i don't think you'd have any idea about what i was thinking about for my post-it the great thing about working within the uh sort of creative industries or the performing arts or anything like that is that you you are constantly asking yourself questions uh, and when you do that, you're constantly, I think, moving forward, so long as you're answering the questions in an intelligent and perhaps insightful way. So there's a sense of, I think there's a sense of evolution. And writers uh, should be going through their own narrative, if you like, their own story arc as they as they move from being, you know, when we start writing, it's, whoa, look at me, look what I can do. And they're like this and this, and I'm going to have an airship and there's a dodo and look at this and I've done this and, you know, and I've joined these words together in exciting ways. And, you know, and there's this sort of fizz and pizzazz and the sort of fireworks of because you've discovered this wonderful thing that you can do and someone wants to publish you and then, you know, and you're relevant and all this. Uh, and then you you develop that and you become more nuanced as you learn your skill. Because, of course, once you've written your first book, you haven't got all the skills. You've just got enough skills to get you past that first book. And then as you keep on learning, as you always do in any, any creative performing industry, um, I think you get better at it and you get more nuanced and you become more subtle. And what you want to, the stories you want to tell change subtly as well as you live through this maturity if you like because I started writing when I was ooh, 27 and now I'm 59 and it's like I'm not clearly the same person with my outlooks and everything so in that respect yes that I think that's pretty much how one changes you said a, a, a fascinating phrase there. You said putting words together and you said, oh, I'm, I've put words together in different ways. I didn't want to get so 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 kind of deep in this early early on, but I'm curious. I speak to quite a lot of genre authors on the show who specialise in writing crime books throughout their career and they can, they can quite, they, not without, not 
quite easily, I should say, but they can crack out two a year and and that's brilliant for them. That's that that is the story that they want to tell. Uh you seem to be doing this for, for a different reason you're 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 absurdist you've worked across so many different series uh, touching on many different themes and as you say putting words together in different ways why do you do it what's the, what's the point in writing f- in for you um ooh, that's a good one what is the point in writing i i, I don't know really I, i'm not sure i mean at its very basis level i think it's a little five-year-old jumping up and down you know, squeaking, look at me, look at me, what I can do, please pay attention. Um, But when you get over that, I I kind of think I actually really enjoy it. I mean, I I love experimenting with ideas. Writing for me is a way of expressing my imagination and ideas. I don't think I'm a natural writer, but I think I've always been put to been able to put together weird ideas and say hey you know what about what about this happened you know what if what if we did this what do we change that um and then i learned to write essentially to give voice to the strange ideas that i was having and it's conceptual zingers like that which which i find so exciting i mean an obvious way of explaining it i suppose is um is uh, douglas adams right now I think a lot of a lot of his writing is it, it, well, it's, it's it's brilliant and it it fizzes and bubbles across the page and it's really lovely. But what he does fantastically well is to um, is to put together these conceptual zingers in a really beautiful way. And you can see when he starts talking about the Babel fish and then relates that to an existence to the non-existence of God. That is the most beautiful piece of writing. And I kind of get the feeling that all the other characters are almost joining up what he enjoys most, which is creating these beautiful, perfect little scenario, zingy little images. And I think there's there's an excitement in making ideas work that exists that doesn't so much exist in just writing like shoe leather shots, shoe leather scenes of people sort of, you know, just talking about various things. Once you have an, an exciting concept or an exciting idea that happens within the scene, that to me is the most exciting thing I find about writing. It's not so much the the writing itself, but the, the silly ideas that you're able to connect together and make into a sort of cohesive whole. You're talking about bubbling and, and zingers, and it's clear, just been chatting to you for what, 10 minutes or so now, that You've got quite a love of language. I mean, you, you, you literally just spoke about uh, learning how to write to get across the imagination that you want to get on the page. Where, where, how much do you think about what word that comes next? Oh, yeah, tricky one. Um, I, think, I think most of the most of the time when you're training yourself to write, and I think most writers will probably say, you know, Ooh, it took me like, you know, 10 years and six novels and like a million and a half words. And what you're trying to do is kind of teach yourself how to do something without really thinking about it. As soon as you stop thinking about writing, it can really start working for you. And what I mean by that, because it's kind of weirdly counterintuitive, um, I don't think it is. And I think, and, and this again, and I've, I've gone back to this before about grouping together um, all people who work in the performance arts and the creative industries is you always say to them, you know, this is a really good painting. Did you have to think about it? And you go, no, 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 that just came straight out. Or with a, with a poet, it came straight out. Or a, a, an, an actor, 
you're an actress, they do it for the first time and it comes straight out and it really works. Um, and I think what you're doing is you're training yourself to be able to do something intuitive. And although storytelling is intuitive to all humans, because we've been learning it since, you know, year dot, telling a story, a narrative in a particular way does become a, an intuitive black art. So so actually saying, trying to analyze, you know, what, what do you think of next is actually quite tricky because what I'm trying to do is actually not think about what's happening next. I'm just trying to let it come out in a way that then kind of works. So I may think up a little idea and then think, well, what would they say to one another? And then I'd go, oh, that would work. But I haven't really thought about it, although I have. It's amazing, isn't it, to try and to try and pick that apart? Because I imagine because <laughs> because you are a writer, much like Douglas Adam, much like P.G. Woodhouse, who who the, the next word is, is always is always a joyous one. You know, you're reading something that, that you've not read before. You, you said earlier, putting words together in different ways. So it's, it's just interesting you getting to the point where you can do that intuitively. Do you remember a moment when, when suddenly that became easier for you, when you found yourself writing in the style how you wanted to write, when, it, when everything suddenly clicked? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the point about it, of course, is that being, being an author, you're your own worst critic. And, and I think, you know, any, any author really thinks that they're they're not they're not really good i mean that's that's vital to be good at something is to not think you're very good at it because then you're always trying to make it better so so when i'm when i'm writing in the early days and i was sort of putting together something and then all of a sudden the sentence worked and i looked at it and i went ah oh, okay that's dum 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 it kind of kind of works in a weird kind of way and i like that and i'm not sure but it's it's exciting because all of a sudden everything came together and, and worked in a really great way. And, and you can see musicians do it all the time. It's that when they're, they're playing together or they're jamming or whatever, and, and they do something that suddenly sounds really good. And you can see, and they'll look at one another and they go, whoa, like that. And you can see them nodding and smiling and, and it's come together and it's worked. But they didn't really know how they were getting there. But you just know Again, instinctively when it works, but also you know very, very clearly when it doesn't work. So I can spend, you know, uh, a whole day working on like a paragraph which has to do a very precise thing in the book. It's an introduction of a new scene or a character or something like that. I'm working on this paragraph all day and it's like terrible. None of it's working. And I go downstairs half an hour later, had a cup of tea, read the news come back up, diddly, 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 it's done in two minutes. And and I'm going, right, that's it. It works. Now it's time to move on. Did that take me eight hours or did it take me two minutes? And I think the answer is probably eight hours. Yes, eight hours and two minutes. Uh, but it it's not a question of look. It, you know what you're looking for, but you're not 100% sure how it's going to arrive. But you know that if you keep on plugging at it, it's eventually going to emerge out the gloom so you're not one to waste words then you, you want you want each word to be almost the perfect word that it can be you're not you're not just trying to get to so many thousand words a day just so you can kind of tick that box and move on oh no 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 they, you've got to make them all work yeah no they've got to all, they've got to all be doing things for you it's it's like a line of dialogue you know a, a line of dialogue if the dialogue says what it says then you're in trouble really it should be not only um, explaining the character who's saying it. Uh, it should say something about the character who's 
saying they're saying it to. It should say something about the the relationship between them, and it also should somehow advance the the story. And and that's not like that's not undoable. That's actually quite doable. And if you aim for that with everything that you're writing, then you can actually tell a story in a very very quick and exciting way. You can bring up the pace. Uh, you can. I think there's a kind of like throughput that readers have. There's a certain speed at which you can write, and the more information, the more subtle information you can get through to create this kind of nuanced world inside the book, um, the better and quicker it is. I, when I read books and it's like just sort of shoe leather stuff that people are walking around and describing a meadow, and I'm just going, oh, come on, you know, let's you know, let's get on with it. You know, time is you know, life's short. So I, I'd always like to make, always like to make. Uh, uh, my every single word count. How keen are you to to make them count on the first draft? Uh, well, a uh, first draft is um, for me. It's a bit of a sandbox. Uh, I I don't I don't have too too much. I don't have a clear idea of where my stories are going uh, when I start them. Uh, I tend to write on something that I call the narrative dare, uh, which is essentially you set yourself a dare, uh, and then you have to sort of write your way out of the dare essentially. That's kind of how it works. Uh, I, I wrote a book about um, a police procedure with Humpty Dumpty um, in it uh, years and years ago. And 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 the, the narrative there was, uh, you know, Humpty Dumpty, bottom of the wall, you know, wasn't suicide, wasn't an accident. It was murder. Explain. And then you go, right, okay, well, that's that's our starting off point. You know, who is Humpty Dumpty? He's dead when the story begins, obviously. Um, so we're going to have to tell his story through back backstory uh what kind of a person is he we need someone to investigate why would they be investigating can i have very large egg fall off a wall in reading well clearly no but one way to hide one silly idea of course is to like hiding a stick in a forest is you is you put lots and lots of silly ideas so humpty dumpty is not the only nursery rhyme character living in reading there are hundreds of them and because of that they have to have a nursery crime division to look after the policing of nursery rhymes and nursery stories okay And, and essentially that is the framework of reality that you that you create to write a fantasy book and then as you rewrite it and all these characters come in and do silly things and all that then the plot and the, the thread of it suddenly starts emerging and and then it starts working so when i'm writing i i can be you know if the book is a hundred thousand words i could be writing three four hundred five hundred thousand words as i try and figure out where it's going and i can write entire chapters that eventually go nowhere and i go right let's start again and i do something else and i go ah this is the thread this is what i like this is where we're going. So, you know, if you're reading one of my books, and what I always say is if you're reading one of my books, and you've got no idea how you think it's going to turn out. You know, where, where is he going with this? It's like, uh, don't worry, you know, you're in good company. I have no idea either. And I think there's actually a lot of fun to be had in that. Well, just uh, focusing on this would have been nursery crime, right? Just fo- focusing on this for, for for a moment before we move on to finally getting to the day, which is the point of the show. You mentioned uh, hiding ideas in plain sight almost hiding a stick in the woods uh, which is how you decided to have many uh, nursery rhyme characters in reading how, how much of a a, a conscious pros a thought was that rather than it being organic so are you sitting there thinking well i need to get away with having ner- with having humpty dumpty living in reading how can i make that happen and then you're 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 kind of brainstorming a few ideas how does that work uh, it, well pretty much exactly as you say but a lot quicker uh, I'll just go, right, well, how do I deal with this? Ah, 
there's an idea. Okay, there's lots of them. Okay, which ones? And you go, right, this, this, and this, and go, okay, then, and then you're creating backstories for each. And you, and my mind is like racing along, and I've sort of got the post-its, and I'm thinking, right, okay, you know, we'll do, the, we can have Mother Hubbard, we can have, you know, Rumpelstiltskin, we can have all these sort of characters, and, and you know, retell it all. And, and then, and then because I'm sort of thinking about this in overload, I kind of think, well, okay, why are we stopping at nursery rhyme characters? Why do, why do we have Prometheus living upstairs? at where Humpty Dumpty lives, you know, and okay, why would Prometheus be there? Well, because he's uh, trying to get um, a political asylum because the uh, um, Zeus wants to get him back onto the rock in the Caucasus to have his, his liver picked out every uh, every morning. Um, and he's claiming political asylum, asylum here in the UK and he's living in this little bedsit in Reading. And to me, that is not a huge leap. That, that for me is that all happening naturally though jasper uh, is that all happening uh, naturally yeah, the totally. thing with Pr- prometheus are you, are you, are you sit there thinking what else will be funny what else will be ridiculous what will make this work or is it just it's happening behind the closed door in your brain and, and you you can't explain why but it is and it works it i can't explain why i mean this is to me thinking up bizarre ideas and unusual ideas is kind of oddly intuitive uh, but I can have these ideas and you go, right, why is Prometheus there? And there's an explanation he's there, but it's not enough if you're writing a novel because otherwise they're just exercises in empty cleverness. Somehow Prometheus has to be involved in the plot. Otherwise it just doesn't make sense. It's just, well, you're just showing off. So he has to get involved with um, Jack Spratt's daughter um, who happens to be called Pandora. And then there's all these other little sort of question marks that start popping into place and everything starts falling into into place. But, I mean, you know, in answer to your question, my mind starts racing and I have these ideas and I think, yeah, that'd be that'd be great. You know, and I was uh, I was I mean, put it this way. I had an idea for a a short story the other day was that um, I was uh, I went into someone's house and they had an arga and I suddenly thought, um, I wonder if arga were making nuclear powered argus like in the 50s and like marketed three of them and and they thought they decommissioned two but there's one left and they don't know where it is wouldn't that be fun and i made a little note and i thought yeah we can exploit that later but that's what happens when i go in and see someone's arga you know i the mind starts to race and you make these new connections and eventually you know they'll it'll come out in a short story or a story or part of a story somewhere but um i've always made those bizarre connections you know I, I will see a pine cone and i won't see a pine cone i will see a baby pangolin or a pangolin egg because it kind of looks like a pangolin i mean that's you know, i've always tell my children that pine cones are pangolin eggs because that's what they look like and that's immediately what i think of when i see a pangolin egg a pangolin uh, not a pangolin egg uh, a pine cone <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we get back to it with Jasper, a quick reminder, this week's show is sponsored by Skin Deep, the new novel by Sung Jae Woo. And if you want to sponsor the show, because maybe lockdown has slightly dampened the release of your book you can make that happen over on our Patreon page. I will give it a plug. I will harness the community that I think we've got going on here. Make it happen. Head to patreon.com forward slash writer's routine and support us over there. Just a few dollars a month really helps us out. It can get you merch as well. Some some little treats to say thank you from us. Also, it can get your book sponsoring the show. Better books to sponsor a writing podcast than random mattress companies, I reckon. It also helps us keep on bringing you chats with some of the world's best authors as often as possible. Uh, we've done over 110 episodes now, so if you have learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you tell your stories please do say thank you please do pledge and support the show over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine right let's get back to it then with jasper ford talking all about his new novel the constant rabbit in this half we talk about the sandbox of his ideas the narrative dare that he set himself for this book uh, and we pick things up uh, talking about the actual point of the show I think this is the first time in the history of us that we've left it this late to actually talk about the writer's routine. So let's see how Jasper's day looks. Uh, life gets in the way, uh, actually, of writing. Um, it's immensely frustrating to actually have a life and be an author. If you didn't have a life, it would be wonderful. Oh, you could just write and write and write. No, I generally, you know, if I get up really early, I might be able to get rid of emails and all the, you know, the, the froth and bubble uh before the day begins and then you know kids have to go off to school but nine o'clock eight thirty if i'm lucky i'm at my keyboard and uh the book i'm working on i will as likely or not be reading the last chapter the chapter i, I wrote or was i was working on the day before and i'll read that chapter and i'll make some little changes i will have ideas for what's going to happen next that i'll make little notes on and then maybe at sort of you know 11 o'clock if i'm lucky i will have finished reading it through and combing it a little bit and then i'll start working on the um what the like sort of event horizon if you like where things are actually happening and and then i'll carry on writing i'll stop for lunch a little bit but i make carry on through if it's working really well and then and then for the rest of the day uh, as much as I possibly can um, but stopping to walk me and the dog uh, just to get up and wander around a bit and I may take little breaks here and there Um, and then when I finish writing that I'll save everything obviously uh, and then the following day I will kind of do the same thing but there's sort of caveats to this because if I've left it for a couple of days or it's ground to a halt right I'm not really not really the ideas aren't coming i'm not sure where i'm going i will simply go back to the beginning of the document 
and I will read it and comb it through again. And as I'm writing, I will think, aha, this is what I should be doing. This is the this is the the idea I should be exploiting. This character, something happens, a door opens, someone comes in, and all of a sudden the rest of the the book has to be changed to accommodate these new ideas. And it might take me two or three weeks to get back to my event horizon. And when I do go to get there, it carries on another two chapters until I get jammed again and then come back. So I'm constantly going backwards and forwards and backwards and around and this way and that way, just um, building this. If I, if, I, if, I wrote, if I built houses, if I built my house the same way as I write a book, I would probably start on the chimney uh, and then I'd be working on a, on a sort of the back door and then go to the sort of maybe then a window somewhere and then put in the fridge. It's, it's a very odd way of constructing. And because it's so ad hoc and the way I work is so um, incredibly random, there's, there's no way I can really set out the way I write. It's just what comes into my head and what I want to exploit in the, in the narrative at that particular time. Well, let's try and try and unpack that randomness. Uh, how, how really, uh, what do you aim to get done every day? Have you got um, have you got a word count? Is is it just an amount of time? Because for someone, as I said, I've spoken to other authors before, ones that perhaps are publishing two, perhaps even three books a year, when you know they need to know precisely they're going to get their two thousand or so words done on Monday and on Tuesday, and on, there's no kind of wiggle room there. But yours seems a bit more. Uh, for want of a better phrase, luxurious like that, in that you 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 have allowed yourself the time to to play in this sandbox that you've created yourself. Yeah, I I I mean I I once wrote a pretty much a book in twenty four days, uh, but that was very very early on. Um, I, I'm just not happy with it. Uh, I I I mean I'm astonished that you know people can write books that fast. I wish I could. Um, when I'm writing, when I first start writing, I mean the important thing I I always think is when if I've got if I've just got my idea, I've got my narrative there and nothing else, then it's very important to get at least you know a thousand to fifteen hundred words a day for the first twenty days. I want twenty thousand words to work with. My books on average are a hundred thousand words, but like a like a sort of sculptor needs clay or a painter needs paint or a canvas. You've got to have that to begin with that you can then start to work with. So I, I generally, the first 20 days, first month, I'm putting in as many wordage as I can, you know, even if they're wrong order, even if they're terrible, even if they're a bit disjointed, don't work out. I've got to get something down. After that, then it's that much, much more slower process that I described. So for the most part, and I, I, I bring a book out, you know, I was hoping, I, at one time I was bringing out one a year and I was working quite hard to do that um, because I write, as I was saying, you know, like four or five novels for every novel that comes out. Um, but these days it's a, it's a little slower. It's like 18 months um, and that's like seven or eight months constant writing. Um, I don't think I write any less words that, well, any less hours, shall we say, and I might even do more hours than people who bring them out two or three days, uh, uh, two or three um, a year um, but it's there's an awful lot of wastage awful lot of wastage because it doesn't make the cut you know when you finished writing at the end of a day how good are you at switching off are you good at kind of having time with the kids and then with, with your family or or is it always there is it always niggling away some somehow and you just want to get back to your absurdity uh it's if, if i'm in a really good position i i will have a uh, closing a closing regime 
So when I'm finishing writing and I know I've got to do something, I've got to go out and do something with the kids or blah, 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 blah. Um, I will actually stop and I will take, uh, you know, uh, my wife, Mary, might uh, call up and say, right, you're ready to go. And I go, OK, look, I've got 25 minutes before we leave. I've closed. I'll close up. And what that means is I have to write for 20 minutes of notes of where I was and things that I was meant to be doing whilst I was working on the manuscript because if I have an idea and I go back then I'm going back to change like six or seven things that happen throughout the the the, uh, the manuscript and if I forget where I am then you can lose the thread and it all falls apart so often I have to actually give myself very copious notes as to where I start in the morning but once that's done and I'm happy that I'll be able to pick up without losing anything because that is the biggest anger and frustration of being an author is that great idea and what, what was I doing again? It was so good and now it's gone. But after that, it's gone. I just switch off and I leave it and I'm not worried about it at all. I'm worse if it's not working and I'm then thinking all evening about why it's not working and um, what I should be doing to switch it and this, this why, how can I motivate this character to do such and such? But for the most part, for the most part, I'm... I'm, I'm okay. I just sort of switch off and just forget about it and then come back in the morning and right, where was I? Back in the world. And lastly, uh, on the day rather, we've, we've still got more to do about the book, don't worry. Uh, but lastly, on the day, uh, how, what, have, what have you learned? What tricks have you learned that, that really help you out when you are writing? You mentioned iTunes earlier. Is there, are you a fan of particular music at certain times? I mean, you've written quite a few books now. Uh, have you, what have you learned along the way that really helps you get the words down? What little things? Uh, well, I mean, I, I put on music um, to kind of drown out the, the sort of hum of the house, really. Uh, I don't really listen to it. It's just, I think it's just there. Um, I think the, for the most part, um, the, I suppose the most important thing is to listen to the little voice in the back of your head. And that goes back to what I was saying about intuitive writing. If you're if you're looking at a chapter and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's going to work. It'll be fine. And and, you know, when you say that to yourself, there's this little voice going in the back of your head going, no, it isn't. It doesn't work. You've got to delete it. You've got to work on it. There's something not there. And you have to listen to that little voice because that little voice, generally speaking, is probably quite right. I've I've written, you know, I've put chapters in that I thought were interesting and amusing because they were a little sort of slightly tangential, but they amused me. And and I've had editors, you know, say to me, you know what, Jasper, you know, that chapter 14, eh, do we have to have it? You know, I like it. I love it. You know, you know, put it in the special features as a deleted scene. But, you know, I'm wondering whether it doesn't. And I go, yes, 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 of course. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to say to myself. So I think the most important thing if you're writing, and, and this goes towards, as I said, intuitive writing, is you have to listen to that little voice that said it's not working or this character does work. You know, don't delete this character. This is going to work. You just have to find the way, the right way to finesse it out. You've got to listen to the little that little person inside your head who's giving you directions and you can't really hear what they're precisely saying, but you know they're pointing and getting angry. So just listen to them. Uh, the elevator pitch for this was, um, it was basically, uh, uh, there, were, there were 18 anthropo- uh, rabbits which, which uh, sort of attained a kind of an- anthropomorphic status um, in about 1963. And we... We shuffle forward to 
2020 or 2022 and there's 1.2 million of them and and it's a question of how initially they were regarded with shock and surprise and delight and then as their numbers grew they were uh, viewed with sort of fear and loathing and eventually sort of um well they're they're a big problem um but they're clearly not they're 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 all the good parts of being human i mean they really are they're genuinely the good parts of being human and the humans um are generally being very showing extreme antagonistic and and um discriminatory uh, um uh, opinions towards um these rabbits who are great fun and very amusing rather delightful and and for me it, you know writing i started writing it in uh must have been the first idea it was coming around about sort of 2016 when the whole brexit thing was happening and and it kind of reflected uh my feeling about how i was beginning to see myself and and my nation you know i i was i'm uh, born in 1961 and in that time it was still post-war really in a weird kind of way and you're brought up feeling that you know britain is this wonderful place and well you know johnny foreigner is you know is is to be you know it's extremely suspicious and the best thing to be is to be british and of course that starts you start questioning that as you move into your 20s 30s and 40s and and the brexit thing really kind of brought it home to me that actually perhaps the way in which i'd viewed myself in britain was um was not in the in the most realistic light, and that we had uh, quite a few shortcomings that really need to be uh, to be dealt with, and and I kind of then the, the idea with the rabbits kind of morphed into this this feeling about sort of discrimination and, and prejudice that I felt existed within the within the country. Um, so it's much it's my it's it's my most political and sort of I've always used satire, but I think it's probably my my most political book to date. Now, if I may. Um... You're not going to get out of it that easy, Jasper. I'm sorry. That's it's quite. A, I want to. I want to like dig deep into how you got to the rabbits. So um, everything's kicking off in 2016. Um, why are you making a leap to anthropomorphized rabbits when no one else is making that jump? How did how did they first bound into your brain? What was going on with with specifically the rabbits as the um, as the metaphor for what's going on? Mm. Um, I think. Um... Well, firstly, I mean, there's, I suppose there's two, there's two things. Why rabbits? And they're, they're proxy humans. I mean, that's, uh, in a, in a very, in a very real way. I mean, whenever you write about, anth- when anyone writes about anthropomorphic animal, animals that can talk are essentially proxy humans who bring some of their characteristics in a comedic way from their animal form to make this new kind of fusion of, you know, animal slash human. But they're essentially proxy humans. I mean, if you read Warship Down, they're not really rabbits. They're, they're humans doing kind of human-like things. Um, and this is a great way of telling stories uh, in in a, in a different way is saying I'm, I don't want to talk, you know write a story strictly about you know discrimination and prejudice I want to write it through a, a proxy character like a rabbit uh, and that sort of and that interested me in a much more sort of fundamental way I think um, uh, why rabbits I mean I'd be the other idea I mean where it originally kicked off is because I was thinking about the um, the caramel uh, caramel Cadbury's caramel rabbit uh, animated rabbit from the 80s you know uh which was voiced by Miriam Margolis and was this i mean absolutely ludicrous idea that you could sort of you know bring a sort of human sexualization to a rabbit and then use it to sell chocolate you know and and if you've ever seen they're ridiculous commercials they're they're very delightful but completely ridiculous and and i was i got to thinking what 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 would what did she do after the caramel 
Cadbury's caramel adverts. You know, what did what did she do? You know, what did uh, uh, Connie, her name was Connie Rabbit. What did she event? You know, did she go on to good acting roles or, you know, did she get stuck in the whole, you know, Cadbury's caramel? And, and that was kind of my jumping off point for the rabbits. And then I realized that a greater story with rabbits as the as the minority despised other in any United Kingdom who who where no one apparently could see that, that the whole hating rabbits issue is just ludicrous, um, just made sense to me. What happens next for you then when you've got this idea of uh, of rabbits who are who are about to be ostracised in, in, in the UK and, and, and you know that this is going to be a political work for you, that it's, it's going to reflect some of your views? Um, how are you playing around in, in the sandbox with these people? Where are, you, where are you going with it? How do you know you're on the right track? You don't. I mean, that's, you know, that is the sort of the, the curse and the delight of, of writing is that I have no idea whether this is going to be accepted and embraced by people or is going to be utterly rejected as crass and intolerable. Um, you don't know. And that's the thing about being an author is that I can finish a manuscript and I really won't get any feedback for two years, essentially, on, on how, how people uh, have accepted the book or not. And that's kind of <laughs> slightly worrying. Um, but I think for, for me, with the, with the story, it was a question of getting the tone right and doing what I do, uh, because I think it's important not to move out of your your comfort zone when it comes to writing. I think writers have a comfort zone. You know, that's why they sort of generally stay in genre with a similar sort of um, style of writing. Some some can actually do multiple genres and they're extraordinary individuals. But for the most part, we kind of stick to where we are. And I do this kind of absurdist, slightly satirical you know, um, so social satirical, political satirical nonsense. Um, and I had to keep the nonsense bit, you know, the silliness, the absurdity in it, yet maintain the darkness of the subject matter of what I was trying to do. And that for me was the most difficult balancing act. Um, I was kind of heartened. I, I did actually go and watch um, some episodes of MASH uh, because I was trying to find something similar that could be very, very serious and then immensely stupid and absurd, you know, literally within, you know, um, a couple of seconds. And, and MASH was the, the best one that I could think of because you have this, you know, immensely silly circumstances and then bang, they're in the operating theatre and there's no jokes. You know, there's no real silliness. This is serious stuff. People are dying. And and it's quite interesting. There's no, there is a laughter track on MASH, but there is no laughter track in the theatre. And and you go, I get it. Okay, I understand how you can try and balance up the tone uh, of the of the book. Um, and that was essentially, you know, what I found most challenging about writing uh, Constant Rabbit was really trying to get the tone right. And, and I'm not sure whether I've done it. I'm really not sure whether I've done it. But, you know, hey-ho, that's what I do. Put it out there. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, an overprivileged white guy gets to feel stupid. You know, boo-hoo. If you were to have got the tone a little bit wrong, Jasper, how? Why do you think that is? Why? 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 Perhaps could do you? Do you, do you think maybe you didn't quite get there? Um, I, I, because whenever you write a book, you want it to be as good as you can make it. You, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? That you, when you're writing, you're writing all these books one after the other, or I am anyway, and. And you're trying to write. It's like it's like if you're a, an actor, you're trying to get the perfect role. If you're an, a, 
a musician, you're trying to write the perfect song. And when you're an author, you're trying to write the perfect book, you know. But the more you do it and the better you get at it, that attaining that perfect, near perfect book or song or performance or whatever actually recedes further away because you understand, you know, how difficult it is to do it as you learn more skills. So I think, you know, the reason that it worries me is that, first of all, you know, I don't want to be sort of pilloried by anyone for, for any reason. And I, I'd like to, you know, my views, I think, are, are, are sound in this respect. Um, not everyone's going to agree with me. Um, but uh, I, ju I just wanted to make the book right and as perfect as I could, that it is, it is by, 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 um, uh, it is by turns very, very silly, then very funny, and then immensely dark, and then extremely cruel, and then it's funny again, and then it's absurd. And I've, be, I've been trying to do that through all the books, you know, Shades of Grey and um, Early Riser, is to get this strange mixture of, of um, so almost like sort of schadenfreude, you know, of, of, of maybe happy and sad at the same time, and you don't know quite where we are. You know, is this a silly book? Is this a serious book? I, I just don't know. And it's a stylistic you know, conundrum for me that I don't really see too much anywhere else, but it's kind of what I enjoy writing and I'm just trying to do it as best as I possibly can. And, and I guess that's what drives me to try and, you know, make it, make it right. This might be quite a hard question for you to answer. Taking you back to the start of, of, of the book when you had the initial idea, which is quite a thematic idea, isn't it? You, you want to talk about um, prejudice and, and discrimination within the country and you're using rabbits to do that and you're playing around in your sandbox yet you know as a writer you need to keep people turning the pages so there needs to be a plot here how are you how are you how are you coming up with uh, a narrative and, and a story that that's that's going to express your themes correctly well, I mean as some um... Uh, I think in the same way as I, I usually do, I start the world, I start kind of fleshing out the world, you know, who are these people? Uh, who are these people in it? Who are the rabbits in it? What are the humans like? What are the rabbits in? What are like in it? And and then I, I have a my protagonist, uh, who is Peter Knox, who is uh, who's just bloke who works for the um in a very sort of he thinks a minor way for the local rabbit compliance task force and he just happens to bump into an old uh, an old friend from uni that he quite likes who was just happened to be a rabbit um constance rabbit and they just move next door to him literally with her, her husband and her family all of whom are slightly eccentric and bizarre and, and whilst we we discover the interesting ways in which rabbits uh, run their lives and the problems that they have within um, within humans, uh, which also goes, it, which also touches upon animal rights in a in a in a bizarre way, because the, the the question of whether rabbits should have rights is argued against, because people will say, well, yes, but if we're going to give rabbits right, we have to give give goats uh, rights and sheep and and cows. You know, we're, we're, it doesn't make any sense. So you touch on a broader thing about. Um, animal and human rights, and also about hominid supremacists, and which we all kind of are. Um, and then within this, then, yes, there's this thread um, that runs between it of a kind of weird little little sort of romance between um, between Constance and Peter and, and where it eventually takes us um, in the story. But yeah, it's, it's important to have that, that thread running through it and everything else coming in and, and the explanation of the rabbit world and the human world and the conflict between the two of them and then highlighting, um, you know, other issues um, within that, that perhaps people don't notice about the unfairness and discrimination that exists 
um, the immense unfairness and how you know things are loaded against them. Um, uh, particular particular groups, um, and yeah, you can highlight all this, and then yes, but there has to be that thread, and you, it's just a sense of discovery as I go through it and thinking, yeah, okay, that's going to work, right? Let's 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 use this this thread, and and eventually it all kind of sort of comes out in the end. Before you've typed a single word, Jasper, how much do you know about that that what the story will become? You 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 mentioned when you first started writing, you're you're talking about these these rabbits who are at work and and they meet other rabbits, and that that's quite a that's quite a thought to come out of your brain in in the space of just a couple of pages. How are you how are you figuring out what's going on before you've even started typing? I, I, I don't really. I, I just have this kind of notion, you know, that narrative down. I just start writing and that, you know, like I was saying, you have the 20,000 words down. And I think, well, where can it start? You know, where, where do they re-meet? Let's, let's describe a scene, but let's not have, let's introduce the rabbits a, bit, a little bit later on. Um, but as a, because they've been here for 55 years, they're, they're not unusual. If you would see a rabbit walking down the street in, the, in the, the constant rabbit world, it would not be unusual unless they were you know, out of place or in the wrong neighborhood. Um, so I really wanted to throw in the rabbits really on like page eight as a sort of throwaway. And I kind of started with that as, as the way of making the book work and the reality within, within, the, within the book. And, and it just started darkening and brightening and expanding and all these little ideas came in here and there and everywhere and I, I just sort of just write it and it kind of makes sense and I just get on with it and eventually something yeah emerges from the gloom and that is it for this week's writer's routine thank you so much to Jasper Ford for coming on his new book is The Constant Rabbit you can find out more about it over at writersroutine.com while you're there uh, have a look at the the book that has sponsored this week's show Skin Deep it's the new novel uh, by Sung Jae Woo look it up online grab yourself a copy find out more about it over at writersroutine.com and now next week will actually have on who I said would be on last week. Uh, Melanie Blake will be here talking all about her new novel, The Thunder Girls. So make sure you come back for that. In the meantime, if you can, I'd love you to leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Twitter. We are at WritersPod there. And I will see you next week with Melanie Blake on the show. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.